Coming from a traditional finance background, it was hard to make sense of spending 10 grand on a JPEG. Yeah. Right? It was like, shit, man. Like, you know, we're thinking of like quarterly earnings and inflation reports and employment and like running everything to statistical models. And then here you are, like, yeah, I'm a FOMO into those. Yetis. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the NFT Now podcast, your go-to source to succeed in the fast-moving world of Web3. I'm Matt Medved. I'm Alejandro Navia. And I'm Sam Heisel. Each week, we interview visionary creators, builders, and collectors so you can stay up to date on the most important trends and tactics for the internet's next frontier. Matt, Alejandro, here we are. We're back. That's right. Who we got lined up today? We have got Sergio Silva, a.k.a. Sergito, a prolific collector, builder, degen in the space, founder of Seize the Meebs, the, the Meebit-oriented meme card project, a member of Neon Dow, and someone who's been a big champion of artists uh, throughout his time in the Web3 space. What's it out to you, Ali? Look, um, I think his love and passion for connection and relationships, you know, uh, him flying out to meet artists and developing those relationships with the DAOs or the collectors or the creators, you know, and, and I also love that he be, he's flipping the script going from uh, collector flipper to now creator. Right. And seeing that that exchange and just his articulation on so many different topics, especially on describing sharks in the water and how the uh, fishing or the elements of liquidity have changed in the space since his, his first entry into it. 1000%. I think it was really fascinating given his experience working at Goldman Sachs in more of a traditional finance uh, capacity and applying a lot of those fundamental principles of investing and, and trading um, to how he's navigated the space. I thought it was a really incredible episode. We're really excited to dive in. Before we do, do definitely want to encourage you to leave a review for the podcast if you haven't already. Um, and on that note, Sergito. Sergito, bienvenido to the NFT Now podcast. Uh, so happy to have you here, man. Um, let's get to it. Well, thank you very much. I was looking forward to sitting down with you fine gentlemen. Um, I love you all. I love NFT Now, so I'm excited to be here today. We love you too, man. And we're happy to have you on. Let's take it from the top. You come from the traditional finance world originally. How did you get into NFTs and Web3? So I got to blame it on G-Money and Ralph Powell. Um, <laughs> like the usual suspects. Usual right? suspects, <laughs> yes. Um, uh, you know, I got into crypto almost by chance during the, the crash, the COVID crash. Um, I noticed that Bitcoin didn't go to zero. And that always, you know, the good things last. And if they didn't go to zero back then, it meant like there was something there. And I had really smart friends that had been building in, on crypto. So I called one of them up and I was like, listen, what do I buy? There's a ton of different tokens. And he was like, Bitcoin and Ethereum, don't worry about anything. And I kind of forgot about it till later in uh, that year. And what happened was I looked at my account on Coinbase and you know, there was a nice amount of money that I was not expecting there. It was probably like my first airdrop in a way, right? I was like, whoa, it's there. And so I hit up Raul, who have, you know, we have similar backgrounds, and he pointed me in the direction of like DeFi. He was like, learn about DeFi, smart contracts. So I started reading different publications. One of them one day mentioned that somebody was stupid enough to pay $140,000 for a JPEG of an ape with a beanie. And obviously that was G Money's punk. And I was like, what are these people doing? Um, so caught my attention. I made fun of it at work. I was on the trading desk. I used to send uh, morning notes to my clients. I was like, people are so So stupid. I think it's important. Like, let's put there here. I think it's important to provide context of like where you were, what you were doing. And because you were doing it at a very high level and a very competitive level. Yeah. So um, I started my career at Goldman Sachs. Where I spent five years covering uh, Latin American institutional clients. And then I went to Barclays to build out the Latin American uh, equity derivatives desk. And so the sales desk. So what we did on a daily basis was talk to you know pension funds, hedge funds um, about their investments and what they're trying to buy in the market. And part of that requires you keeping like mindshare from your clients because there's a lot of competition. So you have to be you know, really sending them the good stuff, good research, good notes, good trade ideas. Um, and, and as part of my morning notes, I would talk about things that were different to them. So 
a year prior, the Reddit boards, right? With like Roaring Kitty and I used to call them the hoodies, people who bought stuff on Robinhood. Right, the whole um, GameStop right, saga, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah, correct. And so, and and then the memes from Reddit, like I love memes. And so I would put them on my very professional emails coming from like a director at Barclays. And then there's like a meme and people like, they love them because every single time they get the exact same thing. It's like, oh, the S&P 500 went up 10 handles. Like it's boring. But you get a meme from Reddit, Right, everybody's a DJ in, inside. Everybody's a DJ, especially if you're a hedge fund guy. You're a DJ. <laughs> facts, facts. And so, yeah. So I was like, all right. So DeFi, and then I saw Jim Money's Punk Buy, and I was like, oh my god, these people are idiots. Look how crazy the world's gotten. When the world's gonna end because people are spending all that money. Uh, but definitely sparked my interest, and so I downloaded Discord for the first time ever. Went to the Punk's channel, and just fell down a very, very, very deep rabbit hole. And I found you all right there. We're, we're honored um and it, it's, it's amazing man it's exciting to see your continued development and participation within the space i know one of the things you're super bullish on and have been a, a longtime supporter of is me bits we'd love for you just to start by kind of breaking down to our audience like what exactly are me bits and why are you so bullish on them long term sure so the me bits are larva labs third collection right so they were the pretty much the they created the space with crypto punks the original ten thousand, uh you know pfps their art um, the punks were four years ahead of their time, right? They dropped in 2017. They didn't really get valuable until four years later. Um, after punks, they did glyphs. So autoglyphs, first on-chain generative artwork, beautiful pieces, inspired art blocks and everything since. Again, also like almost three or four years ahead of their time. And then Mebits, they dropped Mebits, uh, what was it, 2021, uh, late April, early May. And it's the first 3D, you know, metaverse ready, character or PFP. And they're very like human looking. And I love that. I love that they're so human because yeah, while apes are fun and punks are fun and other things are fun, the reality is if you look at art history for the thousands of years that we've been on on the earth, right? You look at caveman paintings and you go to the Louvre or the Met, the majority of the work is human bodies, human figures. Like we love ourselves. Humans are so voyeuristic, like we love ourselves. So the fact that it was Larva Lab's third collection, that Larva Labs use, or is usually like four years ahead of their time. The characters come with 3D assets that are fully rigged, like future-proofed, and they're human beings. And I think they're adorable. They're really, really cute. That just all combined, like just makes me really bullish that they're going to be a lasting project because the asset speaks for itself, right? Larva never did any development for punks or glyphs, and they're still where they are. Um, and so I think, you know, give it a couple more years and people are going to wake up to, to how amazing, how, you know, ahead of their time memes were. How many Meebs do you own? Gosh, I don't know. It's not that many. I was talking to Snowfro yesterday and he owns 128. Damn, I have about wow. 100 less. Yeah. Oh, wow. Only um, 28. Yeah, 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 only 28. 28 you know? yeah. Around there, yeah. Um, I sometimes, you know, buy ones that I like and other ones that I just see really undervalued. I use that to like buy, you know, flip into things that I want to hold. Yeah, man. Well, not only holding Meebs, not only buying Meebs, but you are actually creating a project based on Meebits, the Seize the Meebs cards. You got to tell us, man, like, how did that come together? I know it was inspired by the 6529 meme cards. You were heeding his call uh, to seize the memes of production to give us give us the story. Sure. So it's funny because it also ties back to, to Snowfro in a way, not that he's involved just for the record, but we were having dinner at CES in Vegas at the beginning of the year. And you know, I've been in the space for two years now. It was like my anniversary of buying my punk last weekend, my second anniversary. Congratulations, by thank the way. You. Yeah, yeah, thank yeah. you. Thank That's you. A big one. It was a big night. Uh, well, my wife doesn't think so, but <laughs> she didn't think so back then. Now she's got a better punk now. She uses it on her LinkedIn and everything. Wow. Um, but is, okay. that, is that still the first anniversary in your heart, though? Oh, <laughs> shit. Yeah. It was Valentine's Day weekend too, and she she was like, uh, I was like, I just bought this, and she's like, you forgot about Valentine's Day. Like, That's Monday, man. This yeah, is like yeah, yeah. Saturday. Come on, right? it's, it's, it's not fourteen. It's punks back then. Um, yeah. So how system memes? I've always wanted to do something in the space that you know I've I've been lucky to build a bit of a platform, um, and I've done so just by being myself and trying to be helpful to people, given my financial background, like financial experience, um, helping artists with their jobs, pricing, mechanics, and the like. And, and, and over time, I, I kept calling people out for like, oh, you don't have enough skin in the game because all you're doing is like, you know, posting on Twitter. Like, oh, I'm here, but you're just posting on Twitter. And, and, and while I was collecting and buying and trading and, you know, making money, losing money, I felt like I was missing that component of really having skin in the game. And, and I was having dinner with, with Eric and I said, 
I really want to do something in this space. How did you like come about with our blocks? And he gave me the whole story. And he was like, listen, people like you, people know you, they know you have your heart in the right place. Which every time I hear that, it's just the biggest compliment ever that people just through Twitter think that of me is mm. just like the best thing ever. You keep it real. Thank you. Yeah. Appreciate it. Yeah. Appreciate it. Following your lead. Um, and I, I, he's like, let's just, whatever you do, put your heart into it, be open about it. And I'm sure people will appreciate that. I was like, okay, well, let me think, what do I like? I like MeBits. And I like the ability that we now own our IP as asset holders, right? Because the Yuga Labs bought MeBits and gave us the IP just like the apes have. I love memes, as I was saying early on. And obviously the meme meta was just catching fire with 6529. I was like, there's gotta be a way to combine all these things and make really cool MeBit themed art uh, with the friendship that I have from, from different artists while also using the platform to give the spotlight to maybe some artists that are super talented, but haven't had the opportunity or the luck to really you know, hit that threshold where like, you know, 40,000, 50,000 followers on Twitter turns you into like a star, which is really funny if you think about it. Um, so put it all together, I got advice from some friends and just came up with Seize the Meeps. Um, it's a collection of all, it's going to be like over 20, between 20 and 25 Meebit focused cards. It's meme in a way, just because inspired by 6529, who was really, really helpful from the beginning, hit him up. I was like, hey, listen, I want to do this, like go for it. He's been encouraging everybody to like re-meme his memes and remix everything and CCO. Um, and then his team came, reached out, they opened up a Discord group and like any questions we have, it's amazing to have that support. Uh, but then we kind of like ran with my idea, which is not only do we make memes, we also make like really dope meme focused art, showcase the power of owning your IP and add a little utility to it. So we've done a drop where the card uh, can be redeemed for a bag of coffee that features the Mebit meme on the front. Um, and I just want people to think like, you know, okay, I hold an asset that gives me the rights to IP that is very recognizable and that is super professional and it's valuable. Like, what can I do with it? It's a coffee bag today, t-shirt tomorrow, but then it might be, it might really be the next Disney and you know, it won't be in a year but maybe in 20 years. And if we can spark somebody to think that way today, then I'm all for it. And so that's how it came about. And so what is the commitment to Mebits all about? Like, I know you're talking about IP, but what's the ultimate end goal? I know you mentioned there's going to be 20 cards, 20, 25 cards, but what is some of the learnings that you're, you're, you're kind of gathering from this experiment? Sure. So first, the Mebits community is quite small to be honest, right? It's 20,000, half of them are owned by like Yuga and like a bunch of big DAOs. Um, and, and the community, given when they dropped and it was like the week after Apes and, and Yuga changed the game completely with utility and airdrops and the land, the game, maybe it's kind of just got left behind as far as community goes. So the community is really small, but it's really passionate. So I wanted to kind of like pay homage to those people that stuck around, that saw Mebits get flipped by apes and then mutants and then dogs and everything that came about, flipped them, uh, and are still building, are still celebrating what the Mebits stand for. And so first of all, it's like my labor of love for Mebits as the asset, but also the community. Given the community is small, but the asset has great provenance coming from Larva and hopefully great utility coming from Yuga. I also think there's a big opportunity to really take something that should be very, very valuable long-term and build on top of it. So I'm just kind of like, you know, taking the best thing available that hasn't really been that developed. And Yuga is definitely working on that. They have a large team working on just Mebits, but, you know, it's doing what Larva wanted from the beginning. And, and Matt and John will tell you, we dropped Mebits and we wanted the community to build with them, to take them and run with them. That's why we gave all the assets, um, you know, 3D rig, they're all ready. Um, there's a no fee marketplace integrated. We wanted the community to do something and the meta change on them, but just taking that and saying, okay, I hear you, let's go. And, and, and again, if, if my example can help other communities, other projects or other Mebit lovers to go out and, and do things, then I'm all for it. I love that. Yeah. I love that. And I know, I mean, just generally speaking, as a very like active collector in the market, um, if you had to put a finger on it, like how much have you invested in NFTs to date? I honestly have no clue. I know how much I've lost on some trades. <laughs> that like for sure. I love how I love I know how much I left on the table for not taking some bids when I was. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We all know. We all know. Yeah, I don't I don't know. What's your what's your biggest like I wanna let's let's do this, okay? Um biggest win in NFTs. 
I want to say buying my first punk. Okay. So financial returns, I mean, if I would have sold the top, that would have been a 50X in six months. Okay. Didn't. <laughs> uh, <laughs> punks are long-term though. There's no long-term. regret there. But There's no that, regret there. It, it, it just really changed my life twofold. One, buying a punk early on immediately gave me kind of a... Social. What do you mean by early on? What's early on? It was February 12th of 2021. So wow, that's like, early. Yeah, that, that's... Yeah. I was right before they really started taking what was, off. What was the floor then? It was 6.1. Uh, it was the ultimate yeah, floor punk. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. It was, 10 it was, it was four time. times that when I bought mine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was like a month later. Yeah, it was yeah, just yeah. a month later. Exactly. But it showed me how important it was the social signaling aspect of having a punk. It's like a yeah. Rolex, right? Or Correct. It reminded me of... So, you know, I was 24 years old. 25 at Goldman Sachs. Uh, I'm an accident. I learned English in high school in the States. And I was like traveling to South America and meeting with like central bankers. And they respected me before they even met me because I had a Goldman Sachs business card, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Because I had a Goldman Sachs email. So the door was always open. Call people will pick up or they'll call me back or they give me time on their calendar. Having the punk showed me that that applies in this digital world too. And the difference is you're not just calling a central banker. There's six, seven billion people on the internet that see that. Yeah. Most of them don't know about punks or NFTs, but we'll get there, I think. And it won't always be every single person in the world, but it'll be a large percentage where people are like, oh, okay, that guy is either very successful because they have an asset that is worth a lot or it's early enough mm-hmm. and crazy enough, like G-Money, to take that conviction bet. And yeah. so it taught me that if you have conviction, just go in and do it um, and, and just kind of like put the whole space into context, which coming from a traditional finance background, it was hard to make sense of spending 10 grand on a JPEG, yeah. Yeah. right? It was like, shit, man, like, you know, we're thinking of like quarterly earnings and inflation reports and employment and like running everything through statistical models. And then here you are like, yeah, I'm a FOMO into those. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it goes to show that you can't always trust the data, right? Like you definitely have to have conviction and that intuition. Yeah. All right. Second part of that question is your biggest L. Oh, God. So the my first big loss was not money that I lost, but money that I left on the table. And Mm. it it. Oh, it affected me to the point that then I left more money on the table because of that later on. Um, I bought a Beeple Politics is Bullshit for 17K, actually a couple of days after I bought the punk on Nifty Gateway. And the, the morning of the, his Christie's auction, which again was, uh, you know, just a month later. Yeah, March. Yeah, yeah. The floor on those was like $400,000 on OpenSea. And I was the floor. Somebody undercut me by like 10 Ether. And I was like, you know what? I want to sell this, but if that one trades, mine probably trades, so whatever. And the next, yeah, and so after the auction, somebody bought the floor, and then just the undercutting began. And I ended up 5Xing that investment, but knowing that I could have cashed in 300K instead of 100K, Let me to then sell things too early. Mm, you overcorrected. In that summer, yeah. so I sold a hoodie punk for like 50 Ether right after i mean Oof. right like two weeks before they went to half a mil and so that hurts. that's why yeah. i think that was my biggest i'm loss. like I'm, I'm, I'm like i'm feeling that pain for you it, it, was, it was it was it was an educational loss right it was like yeah. it changed how i behaved and and losing money you know so do you have money. do you have parameters now do you now have like, i like, do you have like your guides if you i'm if i'm if i'm collecting for the sake of collecting mm-hmm. i don't really think too much about the money but i do know how much like my max, like I don't want to spend more than this because, you know, most of these things will probably go down in value. And like, I don't want to resent having given an artist 20 ether for a piece if it's later worth two ether. So I, I have like an upper band. And mm-hmm. same thing for trades. Every time I got myself wrecked and actually lost money was yeah. because I paid too much. Mm-hmm. And I was usually coming off a big win. Mm-hmm. Like I flipped a Fidenz, I think it was the fourth highest floor Fidenz I sold. And I turned around instead of taking like, I think it was like 300 grand. I... I went and I spent it on like other art blocks, which I love every single one of them. But had I waited three months, I would have kept 90% of that money. Yep. And and so now my, my, my biggest parameter is other than like make sure you have conviction and understand why. Uh, don't spend more than like six, seven ether on a particular piece, unless it's like an absolute gradle that is mispriced, right? Like, but if it's something new that is kind of just starting to run, mm-hmm. I, I, I'm happy just passing on. And I think one of the biggest things, and this is going to sound funny considering like I love digital asset ownership, but you can enjoy, the beautiful thing about NFTs is you can enjoy the art without having to own it. 
Facts. 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 That's it straight up. Yeah. Right? Like, uh, like uh, you know, Alan Howard has this amazing uh, Botero sculpture in, in his pool in one of his residencies. I was lucky right. to visit once. And it's amazing. And, and I was like, wow, you know, like you never get to see this piece ever because it's here hitting in a private residence. But I can look at the God Mode Fidenza yeah. anywhere. Just on a on a phone on any screen. Right click save, baby. Right click save. <laughs> it is the biggest power this space has. Because yeah. if we're trying to get more eyeballs on it, well, let's right click save the fuck out of it. And I think that's what X Copy got so right. And all these people that yeah. are doing things were like, "Yeah, copy my work, remix it." It only let's makes it go. more powerful. It only Correct. makes it more more ubiquitous. Correct. So yeah. yeah. So going back to your original question, like if something runs up and I'm, I just don't want to feel bad about spending so much money on it, just right click save it. Yeah, and yeah. I enjoy it that way, and 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 it's fine. And if it drops down again, I'll probably buy it. But yeah, I do have like an upper cap on how much I spend per piece, just to you know, I don't know, just based on experience. That's very sober yeah. of you. Oh, I'm I'm very similar in that regard. I don't tend to chase things after they've left the stable, you know. But but that said, my biggest L's are definitely like missed opportunities and money I left on the table. The one that comes to mind for me, I never minted my punk sneakers for Artifact. You know, I thought I had like a, I thought the window, I didn't know it was But they were expensive. They were expensive. It was like one ETH for sneakers. That's a lot. But that would have been how many clones? It was was at the peak. It was like a $50,000 asset. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. So, you know, I was like, damn, you know, from now on, I, I, and like you said, I corrected for that and like I put things in my calendar. It's like, when does this end? When does this claim end? Things like yeah. that. Um, but I, you know, I think you make a really interesting points there. And it's like, you know, you have had an eye for projects early. Like you said, you know, getting into punks then, but also like you were very early on Nifty Gateway. You were trading there. Um, you were early to artists like Alpha Centauri Kid, you know, ACK and the like. I'm just curious, like, what do you look for? in like an early stage project, whether it's an artist, whether it's like a, whether it is actually a project project, um, what, what, what kind of traits do you look for from, from in terms of like your investment thesis? Sure. So for artists, I think that's a little easier to answer mm-hmm. because I have more experience picking the right, the right artists early <laughs> on. Um, you know, Ness Graphics, for example, I had seen his work and it was only one-on-ones and they got expensive real quick. And a lot of people didn't know about him, but then he did a, blo- a, a drop on Nifty, but as part of, of an, a gallery drop, ABB Gallery, he had his first edition piece called Homebase. Now, people don't do their research, right? They're like, yeah, whatever. Um, and I had seen his work. And so when that edition came available, I didn't win the drawing, but I, I bought one immediately and I hit him up. And I was like, hey, man, I love your work. I think you're going to be a blue chip artist. Um, and he was so nice. Just like really nice person. And I was like, oh, great this guy. is a yeah. great guy. And I was like, huh. Same thing with ACK. Yeah. We 100% match. Like we made f- friends over Twitter DMs, right? And, and, and so I was like, okay, now you kind of like can tell the quality of the person behind. And if your work resonates with you visually and the person resonates with you, like, you know, on, on a more personal level, uh, to me, that's a no brainer. And so that's kind of what I've done, just reached. It's funny because you get a lot of artists on your DMs looking for attention and sales. And it's part of the business, right? As a collector, you understand that and you're respectful. And artists should also be respectful of people's times and the like. And it's a very delicate balance. And now that I'm like almost like shilling my project on DMs sometimes, mm-hmm. even to my artist friends. So I'm like, yo, like you need to make a card. Uh, flip the, uh, the script is flip. I've right? learned so yeah, much. Yeah, yeah. I have uh, so much appreciation now for that. But we, with those earlier, you know, early picks it was more about getting to know the people mm-hmm. um it's also easier when you're trying to dm x copy before it's x copy right, right. you're trying to dm ness before it's ness yeah um and and then those friendships last a lot longer so too. now let, let's give some of our community a little bit of alpha who's an artist who's the next ness who's the next ack who's the next x copy who are you sliding into dms with today <laughs> <laughs> so i've had a, a really nice time uh building a friendship with cardinal he's mm. a glitch artist i think his background is quite unique because he started as a collector oh shit he started as a collector and his work just really speaks to me uh his palette is one color it's orange and black but it's very you know there's a lot of glitch out there right now because pulling out my phone right now (laughs) (laughs) and uh again like i have two two of his one-on-ones and it was like i bought one and i I love the work i love the message i hit him up on the end we like dm all the time now and and it's great and and i you know i think his career is very bright and so being there early enough it just makes me happy to see people 
succeed like that. And there's a lot of artists that I, you know, befriended now through the M's. Um, another one that I really like is Dave Bachinsky or Bachinsky. Mm, yeah, familiar. He is a pro, former pro skater, right? So this is a guy that was like Olympic level, world level um, skating champ and, and, and rock star. And during the pandemic, you know, all those competitions and everything got shut down. He picked up a, a camera and a, and a drone camera and he started making art out of his art, right? Which is like skating and doing all those tricks. And so he has this series called Roll Forever, which he takes a drone and he records um, skaters doing lines of skating, not other lines, <laughs> through, through, through parks. Those don't get recorded. Yeah, yeah, no, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> and, and they are, and then he edits them to to loop forever. So they're called Roll mm. Forever. And they're so clean and so beautiful. You put them on, on like a like a big, you know, digital digital screen or digital frame, and they just look like really like art. And so it's so also somebody with like, I don't know, 3,000 Twitter followers, a lot more larger presence on Instagram, who not only you know, made something out of the pandemic, which I think this whole NFT space kind of like did in itself. So to me, that speaks a lot about the character of somebody, but also was able to transcend, you know, his own thing, be, get uncomfortable with picking up a camera and now is trying to onboard more like skate artists and the like into the space. And so his work is still very, very, um, what do you call it? Accessible, mm -hmm. uh, mostly one-on-ones. He's got out there. Um, he's a great person. I flew out to meet him a couple of weeks ago. And so, again, just that personal connection tells you like that 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 is somebody who's going to be around who's trying to innovate. Um, and so I'm really, really excited for, for what's next for Dave as well. I'm curious um, what you learned from your time in traditional finance at Goldman Sachs and how some of the like fundamental principles to investing, uh, what you've gleaned and how you've applied that to your endeavors as a collector and trader with NFTs. Sure. So I think the first and foremost thing is just the value of relationships, right? Even at Goldman, I mean, the phone will ring because it was Goldman and people called you, but you still had to deliver something of value to that person on the other end. Um, maybe it was the best price ever. And so, you know, there was hedge funds that traded with banks that they hated their guts, but it was the best price. Mm -hmm. But most of the time it was more about saying, okay, well, this is what kind of like, this is what I bring to the table for you. This is how I can add value to you. And this is how you almost like repay me. And it's very unspoken, right? It's, that's what a friendship is. Like you like somebody because they make you feel good and you share hobbies and you do things together. That's why I like you, bro. This is why we hang out. You know? I love it. I love it. No, exactly. Same for all of you, right? And so it's like, what is the value of a relationship? Um, and, and it's in finance, was in NFTs. I was just talking about building connections with artists, uh, with marketplaces, you know, with early nifty days got close to the team there um with manifold um with other traders other collectors and so what i learned was like invest in those relationships early on um develop them nourish them and you know if you make the right connections those naturally pay off down the road whether it's somebody like anonymous x who you know we stroke an early friendship and honestly like we hardly ever talk but when we do it's like we spoke yesterday right and you know he's with ICK, like we both are big ICK fans and able to like bounce ideas off each other and then help him sometimes when he's thinking about his next job, mechanics and the like. Um, with 6529 on that whole team, like Bat Soup and AC, again, early relationships where, you know, we might not go out to grab a coffee every week, but they're there. And so now that we needed a little bit of advice on my project, quickly they pick up the phone or the DM and they say, okay, yeah, no, we know you, your friend. We'll help you out just like, you know, we've helped so many other people. And so I think that uh, was probably something you don't hear when you ask somebody about like Goldman Sachs, traditional finance people, you should think, oh, trading and like the order book. And yeah, we could get into all that. But I think if you're trying to really get value other than the money and NFTs, it will be from being here early with the pioneers of the future of art and, and asset ownership and the like. And that will only come from building those relationships. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. And, you know, like, I think you bring a really interesting perspective to the table. One of the things I think was really interesting to see was a lot of people entering NFTs. And there was some, some of the, some first, many of them was their first time really trading and doing things like that. And there were a lot of like things they should have been thinking about or like misconceptions. One thing that comes like top of mind is a lot of people like racked up crazy tax bills that they weren't prepared for and things like that. I'm curious, you know, given your perspective and your experience in trading and like, what are some of the biggest misconceptions uh, around like trading NFTs and like things that maybe people that, are entering the space aren't thinking about. Yeah, so maybe early on, you know, the market was a lot more inefficient, 
right? And there was like so many opportunities for alpha or just profit. Mm -hmm. Whereas now you have very sophisticated players, right? It's adult swim only sometimes mm -hmm. where it's DAOs, it's people from hedge funds, it's people that Boss. quit their traditional, yeah, yeah it's, it's sharks out there. So it's a shark infested water and it's, it's harder to fish in, in shark infested oceans. So I think people need to be a little more mindful of the fact that they're now, it's a PVP game. That's why gamers do so well at NFT trading, right? Because they're used to, to playing that game and, and, and it's a little bit more difficult today to really capture value or just, you know, you'll get lucky. Everybody gets lucky every so often. But I think my number one advice would be like, really understand what you're getting yourself into. Really understand how the technology works. Because, you know, so many people get wrecked just on like phishing links. It has nothing to do with NFT trading, but they didn't understand how the technology worked. They fumbled into something, they clicked, they didn't realize that was the wrong kind of approval. Poof, their money's gone. And so I think education and just a better understanding of why you're here and what you're trying to get out of it. I think that those are some excellent points in terms of education and really understanding. I love that concept that there's more sharks in the water and there's mm. like less fish. Like well I think, said. Yeah, like yeah. that was really well said. Yeah. I want to transition the conversation here into um, a little bit more of a topic that hits close home to you and I. We're both immigrants, right? We're both Hispanic and we represent a very small minority in the world and let alone in Web3, right? Like usually it's like the white male that's predominant in Web3, in NFTs, right? Um, you're very prominent personality right within our community right like like you said like there's certain elements you've invested in you take your time what are some of the things that you feel is important as an immigrant as hispanic and web3 to highlight and what are the downsides as to why the hispanic market has not come into nfts or web3 as hardcore given the life-changing opportunities that are presented yeah so that's actually a very tough question for for a couple of reasons, right? First and foremost, right? I'm a black punk, right? With clown eyes. Mm -hmm. It represents me today, but you know, it's not really, I don't think what I look like, you know, uh, except when I put on makeup. <laughs> um, the beauty about this place is, or the space is that you can be whoever you want to be. And that strips you also of your diversity sometimes. Mm -hmm. Right, because you're trying to be something that applies to the current thing, right? And the current thing is dominated by, you know, a little bit more affluent people that can punt around assets that are worth thousands of dollars, right? Versus being out there maybe working a second, third job like a lot of our people are. Mm -hmm. um, so it's kind of like it's dominated by a certain culture or a certain background, not out of racism, not out of like people, you know, trying to gatekeep. It just so happens to be that the majority of people in space are white, male, 25 to 40 years old. Just like the majority of workers on Wall Street are people from the tri-state area that went to like Holy Cross and universities like that. That's the regional industry. And if you go to Houston, the majority of the, like the petroleum engineer and oil industry people are people from the region mm -hmm. who went to the schools that have programs focused on that industry. I think our industry has a certain demographic. And so it's hard to say, well, you know, we're getting put down or like people are discriminating against us because there's not enough voices in the space. And I don't think it's being done on purpose. I just think it happens naturally. So acknowledging that, I would say it's like the first step. Second step is we do have to change it, mm -hmm. right? We do have to say, hey, look at me. I'm a brown guy with an accent, mm -hmm. right? You are a person of, you know, a different color or a different sexual orientation or identity. How do we use this technology to empower those communities? How do we use this technology to enrich those communities? And it's a very complicated topic because you don't want to be the, hey, give me money because I'm Mexican. But then you also want to be like, hey, give me money because I'm Mexican. And I don't have the same opportunities. And, and listen, society as a whole has not resolved the issue, right? We still have all kinds of different initiatives from, you know, the college admissions and even our work, like who you hire, who you promote. It is... A very difficult subject. I think having the conversation is important. And I also think just everybody putting in an effort to be inclusive of everybody, regardless of who they are, and taking advantage of the fact that, yeah, I'm a black punk. So it doesn't matter who I am behind. What matters are my actions, my words, what I put forward into this community. So hopefully the community itself says, okay, those are people that are putting in value. Let's reward them with value. And I think people will be surprised at how many Latinos are, you know, in the space. We're just talking about Snowfro, yeah. right? He's Mexican. We're talking, uh, Poap. Poap is 
almost like saying Google, right? Like it's right. it's a birth now. Patricio and the whole team, for the most part, they're in Argentina. Decentraline, yeah. a lot of Argentinians. Um, what else? Sandbox have teams in Argentina. You know, we have a huge Asian presence. Yeah. Uh, and so, yeah, it's kind of like a double-edged sword. I think we should have the conversation. We should push forward. We should definitely have outreach. And that's going to come from you and me, right? It's not going to come from you guys because it's, it's not your people, yeah. right? It's like, uh, back, again, Wall Street, alumni groups like reach out to their university. They don't reach out to the school that's three towns over. You reach out to people that you know. So the outreach is on us. And hopefully the support is on everybody else that says, okay, these are people of value. Let's help them out. Dude. Wow. What an eloquent answer. Very well said, man. And I think that that's very, very spot on about the outreach being part of our responsibility on there. And then I, I love that, that take where you're just like, our identity kind of gets stripped away in the metaverse and you can become whoever you want. If you want to be the me bit, if you want to be the punk, if you want to be the ape, right? I think you can actually amorphize yourself into who you are based on your actions and not your race, creed or sexual orientation. That's really awesome. Yeah. And, it's, and, and like you said, there's there's both good sides to that and also some some negative sides potentially to that as well. Um, you know, and I do think you make you make an excellent point, but I also do think that we as a whole do have a responsibility as like leaders in the space to build a more inclusive Web3. And, and I'd love to hear your thoughts about like, you know, outside of, of these different communities, like, you know, as leaders in the space and, and as different communities in the space, like how can we bring that day uh, forward? Yeah, I think just being very supportive of, I mean, I, we're all people in the space are smart, right? Like you have to be smart to be successful in NFTs. It's, it's, it's a tough game. And so you, we, everybody knows when somebody's from a different region or has a different accent, or you can even tell by the time zones, right? Like now with the memes, we've had to really think about the drop times to make sure that we are not, you know, putting our Asian collectors at a disadvantage, right? And you have to think globally. So how do you how do you encourage that in the space? I think you start with yourself and really questioning like your own kind of almost perceptions and like your own like implicit bias. Like, why is that there? Why do I think, you know, different of that community over those people? And what does that say about me? How can I use that as an opportunity to better myself, and then hopefully, as everybody in the space betters themselves, the community becomes better. Um, as far as like specific actions, it is tough. It is tough because you know who who are you going to help? There's a lot of people in need out there. So even if you say, okay, you know, we're going to donate X amount of ether to this community. Well, why that community? Why the Venezuelans instead of the Mexicans? Why you know the people of this color instead of this color? Um, so I think you encourage participation because you want to reward it's web three, right? So it's ownership, it's community, it's participation. So you want to reward the communities that are involved mm -hmm. and that's how you change. So you bring in your community, again, that outreach and you say, Hey, listen, if you participate in this, if you put in the best of your abilities in this, there's a bigger chance that you get something really valuable out of it. Um, and, and we continue encouraging that it kind of creates like a positive flywheel. Yo, okay, I want to bring this into a new conversation. Speaking of positive flywheels and coming back to your level memes, let's talk about the ultimate truth, the ultimate uh, meme. As you know, the math does not lie. It does not lie. <laughs> it does not lie. It is perfect. And it's perfect. I know this equation. Okay. <laughs> what is the math? The perfect math is 1D equals 1B. The crypto dick butts. Crypto dick butts. One dick always, always equals one butt. One butt. butt. So let's talk about your love for crypto dick butts. Where does it come from? Because you're very active in our community, right? Uh, I'm a holder. We both share very much the love of it. Um, let's talk about that love for crypto dick butts. Yeah. So, you know, I was late to the dick butts, right? I've been early to some things and then late to some other things. Uh, the dick butts were, even though the crypto, well, the dick butt itself is part of the internet lore for, you know, two decades now at this point, right? And I think, again, the value of memes, people think of memes as just like making a picture with funny caption, passing around your group chat, ha ha, it dies the next day. But the reality is, you know, memes are art, they're culture, they're really testaments to the moment that we're in. Uh, going back to the caveman stuff, like those were memes, right? Like drawing like the little buffalo that you were hunting, like that is a meme, you're capturing the moment. And so, the dick bot 
is a big internet meme, right? And it just speaks to the ridiculousness of the space and the time, right? The fact that you're sitting in front of this machine and you're able to talk to anybody around the world and do like a gazillion things on it. Like, that's just wild. You told that to somebody 40 years ago, they'd be like, what the heck are you smoking, man? <laughs> but now it's something that we do. And so fast forward to crypto tick, but they were first born out of the punks discord, which you cannot, you cannot negate that provenance, mm-hmm. right? Especially as, as a punk holder and lover. Um, the second thing is they're actually quite cute. They really are quite cute. They're really cute. If you tell uh, somebody that's never seen a dick butt, hey, dick butts, and it's a dick with a butt, <laughs> with a dick on it. <laughs> they're like, what? What the fuck, man? <laughs> like, I told you to stop doing that shit. Those NFT things are fucking with your head. Sorry for my language. <laughs> no, no, it's all good. It's all good. But if you show them a dick butt, and you know, it's got a little McDonald's hat, or it's got like a little flower. Or like, a little mushroom on the back. Yeah, or, like, the accessories always got me. <laughs> or the clean butts. That, that, that would, uh, the bangs. I love, I love the clean butts for yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah, they're, for they're sure. really, really. But also love the chaotic butts and 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 the cohesive butts. And so, like, going back to the whole meme situation and how ridiculous it is, the fact that these things are worth, you know, a nice amount of money, and that you can build a, such a cool community around it. And you go to the Discord, right, and like the commands are like size, yeah, and the bot gives you like uh, thirteen inches or like <laughs> two inches. The fact that when like a, a dick butt gets purchased, it's like bang, like it's it's kind of like almost like an outlet, like an oasis. Yeah. And 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 it's the purest meme, in my opinion, right? It's it's just something that you can actually enjoy. There's there, nobody questions you in the Discord. Nobody like judges you or challenges. It's just like yes, we love this pixelated penises. We do. We love it. You know what I mean? Quick question on that front: Are undervalued or overvalued right now? I think dick butts will be perpetually undervalued because there's only you know on that series only like 5200 of them mm-hmm. and so that's nothing right i was talking again to snow for about me but it's like dude there's only twenty thousand of them once people realize what these things are like there's not going to be enough to go around and we saw that with punks and with apes and other collections that you know people just take in and they never want to let go like you're gonna have to pry my punk out of like my dead hands you did send yeah. me the seed phrase via email the other day so i just want to like and that was my eighth <laughs> seed phrase okay, okay. Yeah. <laughs> big difference <laughs> god i'm gonna get destroyed again because i hate the apes uh, it's all good it's all good you know the, the, i think the i love the apes by the way we love the founders shout yeah. out to gordon we wish yeah. him a very speedy recovery likewise likewise um one of the things that you keep mentioning is the importance of community right and what is that entail in your from your perspective right like we keep hearing in web3 the word community being thrown around right from your perspective being part of the mebits community being part of the crypto dickbutts community being part of the crypto punk community like these communities are pillars to our space right and now you're doing your own community with seize the mebits right these these elements like what are some pillars that you're seeing that are fundamental to building and growing a community Sure. So I'll start by acknowledging that the word community is so cliche mm. and overused in the space, right? Like area community. However, it is also the foundation of the space. So it's again, that kind of like dual seat to it, which is so intriguing to me. Um, community, you know, if you think about your family, like I love my family. I hope everybody loves their family, but you don't pick your family, right? You just kind of like, oh, pff, you pop out and like, oh shit, that's my crazy uncle. And like, you know, but then your friend group, you pick your friend group, right? And you say, I want to spend time with these people and I want to go through different things in life with these people. And so the NFT communities are are like that, where it's people that you pick to spend your digital life with. And so that's why I think it's so important that people not only vibe with the community, but they're also participate and actually add value to it because it really becomes you know, the representation of what they're doing in Web3 in just their internet life. And we all live our life on the internet, right? Like we're glued to our phones. I mean, you guys are reading your notes off your phones, right? Before it would have been like a notepad or something. Like we're just so... Digitally native. Exactly. And so that's why communities are so important because those those are your friends. Those are the people like in the Punk's Telegram, um, you know, my wife had to travel abroad um, and we were out there in Europe for like two weeks. And every time we went to, I just put in Punk's Telegram, hey guys, I'm going to be in like Munich. And like two or three punks were like, let's do lunch. And so we were able to sit down with people that we had never seen face to face and have three hour lunches where we're just laughing and talking about things. 
that you know had happened away from where we were, like physical uh, closeness, but we had been part of that. And so communities are your your online friend groups that you're doing cool things with. And now with the power of NFTs and owning those assets, hopefully adding value to like your own portfolio, right? Like if you, like that's what I'm trying to do with season memes, like bring awareness to the meme. It's how cool they are. And so, you know, hopefully the idea is that that's going to help the value of the Mebits community that holds a bag of Mebits. Not financial advice, NFA. <laughs> <laughs> Not financial advice, but but again, it's like that positive flywheel yeah. of like, oh, this is really cool people I want to hang out with. The, the dick butts. Like, the dick oh, butts. God, I love the BJ in the morning. Dude, the BJs in the morning are the so best. So we BJ because that's, that's you know, bonjour. We're international craft. <laughs> so BJ is like the GM for the dick butts. Yes. It's the standardized greeting. Yeah, that's right. It's, that's so I, alpha. I, I'm sadly, I, I do not own a dick butt yet, but, uh, but I'm, I'm catching strapped. on quick. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> You're a fast learner. You're a fast study. That's the way. Your online group of friends that you can all work together towards adding a ton of value to what you're doing mm. both you know emotional if you want to call it sentimental mm -hmm. just like quality of life but also financial right like you can work together like the apes were so good at that yeah like yeah. the early apes they were annoying but they were really good at kind of just making themselves felt do you, you guys remember the, the early days of apes where they were literally twitter spaces of just like the apes going oh, 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 yeah oh, oh, yeah right they were like, like clubhouse back then. Yeah, yeah. Well, you remember yeah, that like, video of the first ape fest, and it was like six in the morning, and people were lining for the tickets, and they're like, hur, hur. I remember, <laughs> I remember. I saw that, and my wife was like, "Yeah, no, thank God, mm -hmm. we don't have any apes." But then I saw the airdrop, <laughs> I was like, <laughs> "So I'd love to uh, dive a little bit deeper into metaverse too, because I know obviously similar to Web three, there's, I mean, tons of potential, and I think we all believe in one way or another will really redefine how we engage with other people online." Um, for the metaverse, though, if you look at some of the stats around some of the leading platforms, adoption is still a ways off when it comes to, to meaningful usage of these virtual environments. What do you think it's going to take to kind of drive meaningful adoption of metaverses? Time. Just like everything with humans, right? You could say 20 different brands of car makers that were you know, really relevant in the 60s that are no longer around, mm -hmm. yet we use cars for everything. Uh, you can say the same thing about internet companies, right? even stuff like Netscape and America Online that was such a staple of our first steps into the internet. They're yeah. no longer around. So humans were just cyclical and we go through iterations of things. So cliche, but it's still super early. Yeah. And I think we have to go through these exercises and understanding what's really going to stick. And how do we do that? We just go through them. Um, I'm super bullish on the metaverse. Actually, wearing my Neon Dao hoodie. Yeah. Let's hear more about that. Yeah, so Neon Dao is an investment Dao uh, under the Tribute Labs brand. So that's the same folks as like Flamingo Dao and them. It was put together um, by a group of Metaverse Dao, which was a smaller metaverse focused DAO that was building on crypto voxels and doing different activations on the different metaverses and investing in them. Um, Members from Flamingo Dao who were looking to complement, you know, they have a big art portfolio and they've done really well, the punks, the alien punk and, and all the squiggles in the world. But they wanted metaverse exposure. And then the team from Artifact, um, who obviously you know, were building characters for the metaverse and working with OnCyber and the like. And so we put together a group of like 60 folks and we created Neon Dao. And so Neon Dao, what it does, it just seeks to invest and promote the open metaverse. We do equity investments. We do token investments. We just buy NFTs as well. You know, we have a nice bag of Mivids and clones and also stuff like Terraforms. And, you know, we invested actually in Blur. Mm -hmm. uh, big day today. Um, yeah. So really looking to put skin in the game, right? Mm -hmm. Put skin in the game and say, okay, we believe in this. We're not just like shilling our backs. Actually, mm -hmm. I don't hear a lot about from Neon Dao. But we're out there engaging with builders, you know, helping our portfolio companies, you know, participating in the space. I think the hour and a half, the weekly call that we have, that's actually today, um, is probably my favorite hour and a half that I spend in the NFT space every week. Because it's really, really smart folks that come in and say, I just learned about this new thing. And then they share that and we have back and forths. And it's just, it's, again, it's a smaller, but it's a community that I picked mm. to be a part of. You know, they're my online friends with whom you know building an investment portfolio and, and developing it and putting all kind of like you know our vision together to what we think the open metaverse should look like and 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 trying to work towards that 
let's dig into that a little bit because I know I know um, our listeners may not fully know what what the open metaverse is. I know that you're a big six five two nine guy. You're a big believer in that um, and what and what's being built there. Um, maybe you can just help break down like what is the open metaverse and the, like versus the alternatives of these big centralized platforms like Meta and the like coming in um, and why why is it so important? Yeah, so you know, obviously the easiest thing to do is refer everybody to six five two nine. It's extensive threats on it. I don't want to do it too much about the service, but sure. pretty much today that digital life that we live is controlled by corporations. And that sounds like, you know, typical big old scary things. And obviously a lot of these web companies have done a lot of good for closeness, right? I can FaceTime my nieces who are in Mexico and I don't get to see physically that often, but I can FaceTime at any time and like see them on the screen and interact with them. So there's good stuff, but there's even better stuff. And that is where we as users own the infrastructure or can better plug into the infrastructure so that nobody can actually censor you. Um, so freedom to transact, big part of, of the whole open metaverse, big part of the ethos of crypto, where there's no centralized entity that tells you what you can or can't do, what you can or can't post, what's you know acceptable or not, what you can do with your money, right? That's amazing about Bitcoin and Ether and all the other things. I can send money to Venezuela. And nobody's going to tell me, you know, capital controls or that sanctions list, nothing. So using that same concept now for our, you know, our digital life in this spaces, in this new internet, like more, um, where there's more things to do and own, open metaverse refers to that, to the ability to operate without somebody telling you yes or no. Um, and so I, we believe the users should be the ones in control of, of the infrastructure. Let me ask you one question around skill set. Because I think a lot of the most successful collectors, traders, and sometimes even creators come from from a financial background, mm -hmm. right? Like I don't like if you take a if you take a notice on that. Like, um, what do you think that is? Like, what is the appeal? What's that transition like? It's the skill set is very similar, right? Um, because what you're doing here at the end of the day, you have a 24 hour, seven days a week streaming market, right? You can wake up on a Sunday at 3 a.m and check where the price of a bunch of different things are, right? The value of a project is. Mm -hmm. um, you don't get that in any other market. Even the FX market shuts down like Saturday and like half Sunday. Whereas with NFTs, you constantly have that. And so there's a lot of different things that you pick up on a, on a trading desk, on a sales desk, because you know there's understanding order books and the ability to, to read, okay, well, if there's four or five more buys and there's no sellers for another two ether, well, that's going to make the floor jump. And if that happens, well, there's people that are going to maybe FOMO into it because they were waiting for it lower, right? If you see a bunch of bits, 10 cents lower, you're like, all right, well, there's definitely demand for this. Maybe I'll just get in front of them and try to like get things going. And, and, and so it's financial markets at the end of the day. And I think that's what really draws people, right? Like people are degens at heart, yep. different mm -hmm. ranges of it. But, you know, that's why there's a lot of gamblers yeah. and poker players. It's the same thing. It's that ability to understand probabilities, right? Like, okay, what is the EV of this investment of this trade? Okay, if I have odds of like, you know, 90% odds that I'm going to make money and you probably put a lot of money into the trade, whereas like 50-50 is no better than a coin flip. Eh, maybe not so much. So poker players understand that. Um, sport betters understand that. They understand probabilities. And then obviously in finance, all you're doing is trading curves, right? You're trading for everyone at curves. home. Uh, Sir Hito's pupils just dilated just a little bit more <laughs> while explaining this. I you love know? statistics. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, it really shows. Um, okay. I'm going to hand it off to Sam because we have one final round uh, to close everything off. Well, welcome to Bullish or Bearish, where we run Ooh. through a list of different topics and uh, you have to tell us whether you're bullish or bearish and give us a brief reason as to why. We're going to start things off with a 2023 bull run. Bullish or bearish? Define bull run. And it, does it last? Yes. Something comparable <laughs> to what we've seen uh, in 2021, early 22. Gosh, I want to say from here till your end, we'll probably end higher, but it'll be very, very roller coaster ripe. So it's, it sounds like bearish? Yeah. Bearish on the yeah, bull run? Yeah, bearish on the bull run. Okay. Okay. Um, NFT now. Super ultra duper bullish. I love it. Go. Love to see it. Love to see love it. To Highest it. conviction play. We're one token. Bullish or bearish? Bitcoin ordinals. Gosh. I, I want to say bearish. I think the 
Bitcoin ethos is very different from the Ethereum, Solana, Avalanche ethos. I think Bitcoin has, you know, its value, its mindset because it's pure. And I do think the majority of the Bitcoin space will want to remain pure. And I, I personally think it should remain pure. Um, uh, inscribing, you know, it's like having graffiti in Paris, mm. right? And, and there's graffiti that is amazing. And some of the best NFT artists are really good graffiti artists. And there's, there's a ton of value in that as well. But you wouldn't want graffiti outside the loop. Mm. And I do think that Bitcoin should remain pure in that sense. So bearish. All right, I'm going to give you an edgy one. You ready? Bullish or bearish? Ryan Carson. Oh, my God. (laughs) (laughs) I just want to say I wish Ryan Carson the best. I think he needs a lot of help in understanding that you can't just come into the space and use Web Web 2 tactics of over-leveraging credentials that might be over-inflating and, you know, using your talent. He's a really good speaker. You know, he's got a big following for a reason and he used it the wrong way. And I want to challenge him to be better. And I wish him the best in doing so. All right, great. So it sounds like you're bearish. 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 <laughs> <laughs> uh, bullish or bearish? 6529 memes. I'm super bullish, 6529 memes. I think we are going to continue to see people appreciate the fact that it's a collection of really cool artists um, that are working on things that are super relevant for for culture, right? Like people love collecting things from our childhood. I, I didn't get it. I remember seeing like, you know, big collectors buying like Super Nintendo games that were rated, mm-hmm. you know, like really high. And I was like, why, dude? You can play that online, right? On, on, on an emulator. And it's been two years now. I'm like, gosh, I wish I had a Super Nintendo. <laughs> um, Give me that Zelda. <laughs> right, right. So, and that was part of our, our culture. We're all yeah, kind of like in yeah. the same age range. And, and, 100%. And so... Dude, that golden eye, bro. You know what I mean? Yeah. Shit. Yeah, no. And, 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 and so I think memes, especially 6529 memes, are, are that for our moment. Mm. Um, and so we'll be very nostalgic about this moment when we're like 60 years old. And owning those today is probably one of the better risk-reward play. No financial advice. They might go to zero. but This all might, right? (laughs) I I mean, the lights go out tomorrow. Yeah, Yeah. try to get your ether out. (laughs) That was my original, like, bearish case for Bitcoin. (laughs) My first friend who actually went and founded Coinbase um, told me about Bitcoin. I was like, what happens if the power goes out? Yeah. No, no, good points. All right. Finally, um... What's a piece of alpha or something that you kind of have a prophecy for that you're seeing something that the market is not necessarily seeing it yet? I think there's going to be a lot of opportunities. So I think to make money in NFTs, you have to be either a trader Mm -hmm. or an artist. But I think NFTs are just the perfect value and idea delivery platforms. And so if you've been in the space and you have a way of delivering value to people, even within like your own, like, you know, small business, we get a lot of like small business people in the space, you know, maybe because they're not like nine to five and I like glued to a desk or they have a, a little bit of time to pay attention to the market. Say, okay, well, this is a, a technology that is like a supercharged CRM device that I can use to deliver value to my customers, my clients down the road. Devising ways to start doing that today, I think, will be super worth people's time. Sorry, because people like business, big business, big companies are going to come into the space and be like, okay, well, I want to do something that's been done before that's good at a different scale. And sometimes those companies, they don't build, right? They go and they they buy, right? Like mm-hmm. Facebook bought Instagram because could Facebook, you know, made a carbon copy of Instagram? Mm-hmm. Yeah, in a heartbeat, right? It would take an engineer a day, but they didn't. They bought the idea. They bought the IP. So I think you don't no longer have to be just be a trader or just be an artist. They'll continue to do very well in space. But you can be a builder that is not just like, you know, dropping a 10K PFP project and hoping for the best. It's somebody that, hey, listen, I have a T-shirt company, right, in real world. Or I'm an insurance agent. How can I use NFTs and what I've learned so far, the power of these tokens to deliver value? Ladies and gentlemen, that is the pitch for now. Pass. Great points. Yeah, all great points. So, Hito, it's a pleasure. Pleasure is mio. Thank you for joining us on this episode, man. Guys, it's been amazing. So glad to have you, man. What a blast. What a blast. Thank you so much for the invite. Yeah. Seize the memes. Seize the memes. That's it.
Man, well, that was a fun conversation. What stood out to you guys? Look, I, I love how real he is about the way that the trading space has changed. I love his uh, belief in the open metaverse. And I love that he's building the Seize the Meebs project and like really kind of like rolling up his sleeves and getting behind something that he's been a champion of for a long time. Um, you know, it, it's been really interesting to watch him um, just kind of develop from, as you said, like a trader to a collector to now a builder. Um, and I think that he's... Uh, a really like it brings a really important perspective to to the uh, the space and also to the NFT Now podcast. Yeah, absolutely. For me, man, I think his art, his articulation and positioning of him being an immigrant and how that is not necessarily relevant in the space. Like there's still relevance to it, but it's not necessarily as important or carries that much weight, given the fact that we can become anyone in this metaverse world. And secondly, I'm biased by it, but the ultimate truth of math, right? 1D equals 1B and his <laughs> love of crypto dick butts. Regardless of who the guest is, I'm always going to see that as a highlight. Yeah, for sure. And I definitely left this episode even more bullish when it comes to me, but uh, I think the as the metaverse becomes more of a thing being able to have these 3d models really have this true ownership of your identity as we start to incorporate and navigate more of our lives in metaverse environments i know that's still pretty far off but just hearing his whole perspective not only on me bits but on metaverse adoption was very uh, very fascinating and exciting well as always thank you everybody for tuning in we appreciate your support we will be back next week until then we out